Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. Liam Bauer and Jesse Schmidt join us today. Uh, They both make up the tandem of the Truth Not Trends podcast, which I was fortunate enough to be a guest on a couple of weeks ago. And both of them are trainers at Fitness SF in Oakland, California. Um, Jesse, I believe, which is the fitness director. And uh, Liam, I think you're uh, just overall badass there, right? So... um, So we, we kind of, we've all, we all made contact. I, I was interviewing someone similar that they had on their podcast recently. Um, well, maybe it wasn't so recent as, as it turns of now, but uh, I decided to reach out. They both had a really interesting story. I love the flow of their podcasts. A couple of really sharp guys. We have a lot in common in terms of training philosophy. And um, so I thought I'd get them on and, and share their stories. So Liam, Jesse, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here, man. So, Liam, how about you start us off uh, and and share your story since you you kind of both top Jesse and I in terms of career length and experience. So, share your story of how you got into the strength and conditioning field and what led you to right now. Sure. Um, Honestly, uh, I started out, uh, I was an athlete in college even before that. I was a competitive skateboarder when I was in younger. I was on a team back in the way back in the day, uh, way way before the X Games, and uh, then I became a soccer player. And I, I actually played uh, college soccer back in the 1980s. Uh, the skateboard. What year was the skateboard? Skateboarding was in the 70s. Yeah, 1930 something. I <laughs> know. Uh, yes, skateboarding. Skateboarding in the 70s. And um, I went. I was in, in, in college in the 80s, and I, and I played soccer at Long Island University in New York. And um, at the time, I, I'd always exercised, but I didn't know anything about, um, you know, the science of exercise or any of that kind of stuff. But I, but I liked to play sports. And, and uh, I suffered some injuries as an athlete, and, and I, uh, I started uh, rehabbing and doing things. And, and at some point, I decided that I wanted to, you know, get more muscular and I didn't really know anything about it and like many people uh, I saw I, I had a friend who was uh, bigger and stronger and more muscular and, and uh, he worked at a local gym near the school and uh, I joined the gym and uh, luckily for me um, although you know I wouldn't say that he was knowledgeable in the sense of the stuff that we talk about currently he was very uh, clear about you know making sure that you had good technique and that was the most important thing and that you trained safely. Um, and so that was good. You know, he got me a good foundation and I, I, uh, I just got, I just became, you know, fell in love with working out. Uh, my body responded. I was very skinny in college. I weighed about 128 pounds as a 20 something year old. And by the time I graduated, I'd added 15 or 20 pounds of muscle quickly. And, um, I, I was hooked on, on strength training and, 
this was again still the late 1980s and at that time there was no real personal training there was no not a lot of certifications there was not a lot of stuff i got out of college like a lot of people not 100 percent sure what i was going to do with my life and i thought well you know what i'll do in the meantime is i'll get a job at a gym right because mm-hmm. i like i like working out so I, I went to a local gym and it just happened to be um, serendipitously, it was a, a Nautilus gym and it was in Washington, D.C. and it was, it was, it had a direct link to the Nautilus factory, which was in Virginia. Uh, and, uh, the owner was a guy who was, you know, hardcore, everything is done the Nautilus way, Nautilus principles, uh, Arthur Jones. And so I was quickly, uh, indoctrinated into that information and was teaching it every day to the members of the gym. Again, there was no personal training at the time. You know, back in those days, you know, you joined a gym and there was fitness instructors and they were on the floor just to answer questions and make sure you were doing all right. And I, again, had some great mentors there who were super knowledgeable and put up with all my stupid questions. But that being said, I have to say transparently that I I didn't accept that stuff as my own. I, I still trained like a stupid muscle and fitness six days a week, three hours a day. Um, hmm. I thought that was, I, I thought the Nautilus stuff didn't make sense. How could it possibly work? Not the big guys in the magazines weren't doing it. And so even though I was learning it and teaching it, I didn't accept it for myself until a few years later when I, 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 I did learn to keep records of everything I did and I would keep journals and I would try all these crazy programs. And I, I'm not exaggerating when I, when I say I went through a process of training, um, six days a week for three hours a day. Wow. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous. And I, I was not making progress. I was always having injuries. Um, something was always hurting. My, my gym bag was filled with wraps and straps and things because my elbow would be sore, my wrist or something. Um, I just thought you had to work through it. Um, and, and I know what I would happen is these, these injuries would show up and I would put myself back on what I would say, a quote unquote, as, an, as a beginner program sort of like total body three times a week. And I would always make progress. And the progress would always halt when I would switch from the beginner program to the advanced program, you know, like more frequency, more volume, more stuff. And it was in this, in this process of keeping the records and seeing when things were not working and when they were working that I had this epiphany. What if I just stayed on the beginner program, <laughs> you know, and kept my volume lower and, train more, you know, less frequently and, and, uh, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, you know, I had those epiphanies and, and I also started to encounter the work of, uh, like many people of, uh, Mike Menser. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting into the, we're getting into the early nineties now because I graduated college in the late eighties and, uh, mentor stuff and, and, and led me back to the Nautilus principles and, and back to the, to the sort of roots of the high intensity training that I learned before, but I was finally ready to hear it. And I started applying it on myself and just having fantastic results. And um, I still kept exploring other things through my career. You know, I've, I've got, I, I took lots of certifications along the way um, and just found myself still now 31 years later, I'm still in the fitness business. You know, I told myself I was going to do it until I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I, I guess I haven't figured out what I want to be yet. But um but I'm still doing it, and I've, you know, along the way, just devoured this information. I've taken, you know, 15, 20 certifications. I've read a million books. I've attended 
hundreds of seminars. I've worked with elite coaches and, and just continually refine my process. And through that time, I've tried to, you know, filter everything through what's the safest, most efficient way to get these jobs done, you know, that our people are trying to do. And I've just kind of developed my own process that's through the lens of, you know, high-intensity training, for lack of a better term, uh, a branch off that tree, for, for perhaps. Um, yep. And, you know, standing shoulders of giants, you know, with Ellington Darden and Arthur Jones and Jim Flanagan and Mike Mentzer and all these guys who have influenced me. And, and I've been lucky enough to actually meet and talk to many of them over the years. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I am now. And, and you know, here I am. I Clearly, I still enjoy it, still passionate about it. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work with elite professional athletes and, you know, little old ladies and everything in between and uh, still, you know, having fun. So I, I, I still stay with it. And anyway, I'm working now with my, uh, with Jesse, who's, who's uh, probably my, my greatest protege. Oh God. <laughs> it's a bar real high. Uh, you know, he, 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 you know, Jesse and I met almost serendipitously uh, at the gym and he was new to the business and uh, we started conversations and, and uh, you know, for some, for some reason he listened to me <laughs> and the rest is history. So that's interesting because um, I, I, I'm glad that we started out with, with you, Liam, because, you know, you talked about standing on the shoulders of giants and having these mentors. And um, I think anybody who's listened to the podcast has definitely recognized all those names. And Jesse had mentioned when he and I just spoke one-on-one -on, -one on the phone, um, you know, uh, I, I guess a month ago now or so, he had mentioned how, you know, he recognizes you as his mentor and how, how fortunate he is to, to, to learn from somebody who has been doing it for so long. And I know you jokingly kind of said that, um, you know, you're still looking for some, what you're supposed to be doing and it, it clearly, you know, that's, that's a joke, but this is also exactly where you're supposed to be. And then you've got somebody like Jesse who, uh, Jesse, I want you to share your story too, because you kind of have a unique background and how you got into all of it. But I just, I like the idea of when, and I like sharing stories of when people meet somebody else um, and they have a connection and one person just devours information that the other, the other person and is so willing to give it. And I, I think that's something that sometimes we might be uh, in our industry because it's, it's so competitive at a certain level. Um, you know, everybody thinks they have like a, a secret sauce or something that they can't share, but it's, that's not true because all the greatest people who, um, uh, all, all the people that you and all, all three of us look up to, all they've done is share their information, right? So, so why not help other people out? So, so Jesse, tell us your story a little bit because you kind of have a, a unique background as well and how you got into the industry. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I mean, I first started resistance training in uh, high school when I got dumped by my girlfriend and I wanted to get uh, big and buff and uh, I don't know, make her miss what she had or something like that. And then I got into, you know, I just continued with it into college and I um, <clears throat> read the Schwarzenegger encyclopedia and I, I started doing, you know, stuff similar to what Liam was talking about. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't three hours a day, but it was two hours a day, six days a week. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and that was kind of, that was kind of my like standard. I, I always kind of had it set in my mind, Oh, you know, maybe I'm not doing exactly that, but I need to get back there. And, 
then I, I kind of, uh, I was, I was a baseball player. I still play baseball. Um, I got into rock climbing and, uh, American Ninja Warrior training, which I haven't been on the show. Um, but I've been a course tester for them. And, uh, so fingers crossed I'll be on in, uh, in a season real soon. But, um, about the time I joined our gym, which is coming up on two years ago, was um, still very active. You know, I was I, I do obstacle course racing. I'm 31, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that, but um, you know, I I was you know running you know three or four miles a couple times a week and resistance training two or three times a week and rock climbing you know once or twice a week and and doing the Ninja Warrior training, which is also pretty. Uh, pretty intense at times, you know, once a week. So there was a lot of, a lot of just stuff going on. And then, you know, I would, I would run into Liam in the gym and, you know, he'd see me doing, you know, like weighted poles or something like that. For some reason, that's the image that always comes back to me. Like um, he would, he, he would just sort of like in passing, uh, ask me a question, you know, like I, I remember when I was doing some weighted pull-ups, you know, I, I, I had like a, a 25 pound weight, you know, on a belt or something like that. And he, and he asked me, you know, you know, uh, how many sets are you doing? You know, or, or, you know, what's the heaviest one that you're going to do? And why don't you do that one first? You know, and I would say, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to build up to the 45. Why don't I do it first? I don't know. And so that was the first time that really the high intensity training, you know, system really started to, come into the picture for me. And so I went from this place of both training myself and my clients in this sort of like very high volume, more is better approach Mm -hmm. to, um, to really seeing, seeing both for myself and my clients, much, much better consistent um, results with a lowered volume and a higher overall intensity. So um, in my personal training, I mean, I, I've been blessed, honestly, to be to have been training to have had Liam as my trainer for the last um, you know year, and you know at this point I'm I'm only lifting weights once every uh, for for about 30 minutes once every week, and uh, you know I, I tell everybody who will listen to me this is, this is the strongest uh, you know strongest I've ever been. It's the you know I track my you know, muscle using an in-body and I'm, I'm consistently at the, the highest level of muscle I've ever had. And I'm, and I'm also, when it comes to my athletic endeavors, you know, just the healthiest I've been. I had all these lingering injuries and now that I rest for a longer period of time, I don't really have to deal with that stuff. And so that's just, that's kind of just, uh, that, that changed the way um, my business operated and I just, uh, you know, all my clients are seeing really good results, and that for me has um, elevated me. I guess from uh, I, I was, you know, a trainer, and then I, I did uh, in the last five months just take on this uh, fitness director position. So now I'm, I get to teach other trainers what I know, which uh, honestly is is trying to just make them go talk to Liam because he knows way more than <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So that, that's, a, that's a cool story too. And I, I think um, what's unique about all the, the, all three of us talking is, first of all, anybody who 
who goes into this fitness industry, especially like the fit, the, the personal fitness coaching or the, the personal training, whatever, however you want to, uh, whichever one you want to call it, um, started out in some type of athletics or seen some kind of benefit from lifting weights. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, and I was in the exact same boat as Jesse. Jesse, I used to do the exact same thing, you know, four or five days a week. Um, have to go in. If it wasn't, if a minimum wasn't there for an hour to an hour and a half, it wasn't a good workout. And then you look back like most of the time, um, it was just standing around counting, wait, looking at the clock, waiting for your three minutes to be up so you can do the exact same exercises four times. And, and right. that's And I can't remember exactly when it was that I was introduced. It was in college, um, undergrad or grad school. I can't remember exactly which one, when I was finally introduced to um, Arthur Jones. And, and that's kind of what uh, broke me through. I was like, wow, you mean if I just trained with a little more intensity and I could not spend my entire Saturday afternoon, you know, in the gym, like, you know, training efficiently is great for your body because it reduces injuries. You get better muscle gains. It's better for the ligaments, you know, on down the line. But I don't know many people who just love a general population, at least that just love to stay in the gym all day long. And it, it just being efficient is such a big part of it. And Liam, you kind of started out that same way. But the interesting part is you got to see a transformation from like probably um, before coaching, strength coaching was a thing uh, in sports. So you played college soccer. So you probably saw like the birth of athletes starting to strength train a little bit. Or maybe you heard your coaches say, Hey, I don't want you to lift weights because then you'll become a bodybuilder and that will reduce your uh, playing ability. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because honestly, again, it doesn't seem that long ago, although I've been out of college for 31 years, I guess. Um, whew, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> and Jesse is 31 years old, so think about that. <laughs> so no, no, no hints as how old I might be, but, uh, but uh, I have to say, yeah, playing – college soccer in the 80s my program there was no strength and conditioning component we did not have a strength coach they did not tell us to lift weights they didn't tell us not to but they certainly didn't encourage us to, um, you know at practice all we did was run and and you know and work on tech technical tactical stuff and there was no talk of it and there was no real sense of any sort of training that had a purpose to it other than playing the game and and you know we all could play the game and we all did were able to run and all that. But I mean, there was no specific, you know, training with a purpose in mind of, you know, energy system development for the sport or, or being stronger or injury prevention or any of that stuff. And, uh, I can say for sure, uh, that if I had known more about it, um, I would have trained myself differently from a younger age. And I think I've had a lot of injuries over my career as an athlete and I think I probably would have had far fewer injuries if I'd learned this stuff much younger mm -hmm. and uh, knew what I was doing. Uh, you know, I, I probably would have had a better and more, uh, you know, enjoyable athletic career and far fewer injuries because I've had some pretty horrible injuries in my career as well. And, and uh, a lot of them are from not knowing when to rest and um, not being as strong as I could be, I'm sure, uh, you know, all kinds of things. So, yeah, we but we had zero strength training, uh, in, in, in my program. So Jesse, did you, when you were, did you, I assume you played in high school, did you play in college also baseball? 
Yeah, I was a I was a varsity um, varsity baseball player in high school, and I played for the club baseball team at UCLA. Okay, so in um, so in yeah. high school, did you did you see was it? Because <clears throat> you kind of you know you're a few years younger than me, so we probably saw a lot of the same stuff when I. When I was in high school, now I had a very short high school career. I hurt my knee when I was a freshman, didn't didn't play after that uh, basketball, but um it was basically a free for all in the in the in the gym. There was no like there was no direction. It was basically like you squat, you deadlift, you do some kind of like po- quote unquote power movement. Um and there was some bench pressing. I don't even remember doing very many rows, maybe maybe some pull-ups. Um and I remember doing walking lunges and that was a, that was about it, but it was kind of like a bunch of posters on the wall and a football coach saying, um, here you go. Just good luck. Is it, do you kind of have the same flat, uh, treatment or do you remember something a little different? Yeah, that sounds pretty similar to my experience. There may have been some strength and conditioning class, but I never took it. And my always perception was that if you wanted to get, you know, bigger and stronger and lift weights, you needed to play football, which my baseball coach was also our football or one of our football coaches. So, um, that was always his recommendation. Um, so in our weight room, you know, I went, to, I went to a public high school. Our weight room was about 20 by 20 with like one squat rack and a bench, a flat bench press and a few dusty dumbbells. And yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was pretty, pretty limited. And um, I honestly, I had zero guidance on weightlifting in high school. And that actually hurt me because even though I came into my freshman year weighing 130 pounds, and uh, by the time I got dumped by uh, my first love, I was, uh, <laughs> I was or, or after, after that, and I had been lifting at 180 pounds. So I put on, I mean, I, I, don't, I can't say that all of that was muscle, but I put on a lot of muscle in, uh, in you know, a year and a half in, in high school. And, but the, the problem was that basically all I knew, well, I mean, I didn't know anything, and you can just walk up to a bench press and use it. So that's what I did. Yeah. And so I ended up kind of uh, building this imbalance into my body, and that manifested in the form of shoulder tendonitis. So mm-hmm. yep. initially, it was it was pretty cool because I came back from my senior year as what looked like a, a totally different player. I looked like much more powerful. And that that helps with my hitting, but also my throwing. Uh, I basically went through my entire senior year feeling like my arm was going to fall off. Because um, I had done no pulling exercises. <laughs> right, everything was pressing. Everything was pressing, and and that was one you know th- that was one thing that the Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia helped me with is like literally. I mean, I was just like a typical dude, you know, I was doing pushing exercises, and I had no guidance, and I thought I knew everything, and and I needed to read an entire encyclopedia to realize there's a back of my body. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, if you don't see it in the mirror, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> Well, hopefully you were doing some biceps, right? Curls for the girls. Oh, I hope so. I, yeah, I did bench presses and I did bicep curls. And sit-ups. And maybe some sit-ups here and there. I did <laughs> nothing for my legs. Yeah, when I was – actually, all I did as a kid was push-ups, pull-ups. I did a lot of bodyweight exercises even even when I was uh, younger. Yep. And I got pretty good at it. But I was – you know, again, I was very skinny. But I, uh, you know, I, I, I did push-ups and pull-ups. But I did it every single day. You know, and I just had a number. I'm going to do, you know, 70 push-ups and, you know, whatever, 30 pull-ups. Or that was whatever. the other thing. I was, I was doing, at one point, I was doing 300 push-ups a night. Yeah, yeah. I was doing, like, double days, too. Like, I would lift I would lift at school, 
and then I would go home and eat dinner, and then I would go to the gym, and I would lift again. Like, I would bench press at school and then bench press again, oh, yeah. and then I might do some push-ups later after that. I did the same kind of thing. I was actually at some point working out, like, three times a day or yeah, um, you know, That's... body weight stuff morning and the evening and weights in the afternoon. Yeah, I feel I feel like everybody, most people starting out, uh, maybe it's a little different now, but I can't see it because we're it's just like everything you can see in front of you, and you're not training for – uh, for overall health and wellness, you're just like, I want to look as good as I possibly can. And it just so happens I see my chest and my abs and my biceps. So that's what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah. and it really sucks to squat or lunge or deadlift. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I, I think my female clients must have a different type of mirror, though, because I think all they see <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, you know, I was lucky. I was lucky when I started with the actual weightlifting that my legs were, you know, like naturally really muscular. And so that, you know, you, you sort of also gravitate to what, what responds. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, like guys were like, Whoa, you're, you, you got like the big quads and calves. And so, so then of course it makes you want to do those things more. Right. Cause yeah, right. like, so I was the opposite. I was really weak at bench pressing and stuff, but I was really good at squatting and, and leg, you know, things like that. So I, I, I got into it. I mean, I, that was one thing, even when I was, terrible i think i squatted 315 for five reps when i weighed about 150 pounds wow um so i you know i I got pretty good at that stuff in some ways but i just still didn't know what the hell i was doing yeah guys calves look like look like he's got tumors in them (laughs) anterior tibialis makes you think there's there's like a a leech in there (laughs) that's that's like an extra piece of steak it's one of the hardest, one of the hardest muscles to train. You get, I see, I see guys who just have naturally thick leg, legs like that, and just like stop it, put pants on, stop showing it off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jesse, you brought something up earlier that uh, I thought was interesting. This idea that you were learning something uh, that maybe you know you were trying to suck a bunch of information up from Liam, and and you you started to understand the process, yet you were still directing people to do something a little different because you weren't 100% bought into it. And I think that that kind of spreads across a lot of what um, people do in general. Like they they might think like, well, I know this works for a, a a certain population, but it's not for me. I'm a little different. And when it comes down to it, you know that that might not be uh, the case at all. So. I'm wondering at what point did you go all in and say, this is, this is how not only am I going to train my clients this way, but I'm going to train myself this way. That is tough to say. I think maybe, maybe after I read the Nautilus bulletins, I don't know. I, I honestly, I can't remember when the actual, like when the day was, I think maybe it also tied into, you know, I, I had built up some rapport with my clients and I could just have that honest conversation and tell them, you know, look, like, I know we've been training this way, but I've been, I've been doing this myself and I'm seeing better results and I'm a hundred percent confident that you're going to see better results also. That's, that's kind of what it, what it seems like to me, but, um, yeah, I mean the 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 high intensity training style. I I feel like I, cause what you're kind of saying about how people, you know, kind of try to like pigeonhole different different types of training styles. Like, right. you know, older people should only do body weight exercises, or young men need to do powerlifting, or or athletes need to do Olympic lifting. You know, those those kind of weird. 
uh, misconceptions get tossed around. Um, and that, but that's one of the great things that I love about high intensity training is that it applies to, you know, someone who's, you know, it's their first time in the gym or they're, you know, a teenager all the way up to, you know, all the way up to, I mean, there's, there's no limit, you know, there are studies with, with 90 year olds, you know, we've, we've had Dr. Wayne Westcott on our podcast Mm -hmm. and I think you have too, or at least you know of him. Yes. And, um, and, and he's, he's put 90 year olds through in his studies. He's, he's using high intensity training protocols, I think for the most part. And, um, yeah. And, um, so, I mean, that, I, I just think that's so powerful. Um, and yeah, some people are skeptical when you say that, you know, an athlete, cause that's another thing that our guests say kind of very consistently is, you know, we ask, you know, these like Dave Durrell, you know, or yeah. Marcus Donovich who have, who have uh, trained, you know, NFL players. We ask them, you know, what's the difference between training, you know, your NFL athletes and training, you know, Joe Schmo. And, and the answer is, not much. Not <laughs> like, much. Like Some in- intensity, like maybe. Players yeah, yeah. And so, I don't know. It, it's just, it's just a really cool thing because it means that that if you if you are trained in the high intensity training style, then um, as a professional, you're very versatile because it doesn't matter what type of person comes in front of you. You have the skills to train them. And then from you know the client side, it just means that those people are just going to see really good consistent results. And they know that the person that is guiding them through those exercises is going to have, you know, is going to hold them accountable and, and be tracking their metrics and, and all that good stuff. So Liam, you, you had kind of mentioned like, you don't get caught up in all the minutia of um, all the little nuts and bolts and how things should go because you, you should be able to be adaptive and take that kind of approach and you having over 30 plus years of experience in, in, in this t- style of training, what are some other sources that you kind of pull from um, in order to maybe round out your programs? I think, you know, some of it is, is um, I think, partly from, you know, trying so many different things myself. You know, I've, I've literally tried so many different approaches and played with so many different exercises and so many programs and, again, devoured so many sources of information and also been lucky along the way to get, you know, connected to some other talented coaches and be able to pick their brains and experience their, their own stuff. So part of it is that, you know, and, and, and recognizing that I, I, I'm constantly pulling along the way and, and keeping the parts that work, right? Uh, Jesse sometimes jokes that, you know, I, I, my stuff is like similar, similar to Bruce Lee, like Jeet Kune Do, right? Like, discard the things that don't work and keep what does work no matter where it comes from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and so I think, you know, you gotta, you gotta recognize that there's different pieces that work. And one of those things happens to be cadences, right? I've tried so many different styles and I've had success moving slowly and I've had success moving faster. Um, and I've had success moving in, you know, other things, but I found, so I found that the cadences and the ranges of motion and things like that are not necessarily as important, but the, but the intensity is important, right? So they're, you know, recognizing what factors need to be present all the time and what things are a little bit more open to interpretation. That's one part. But I have to say that also I was lucky enough to discover um, the IART. Are you familiar with oh, their yeah. stuff? Oh, yeah, definitely, yep. 
Yeah, so, so very, very a long time ago, I, you know, when Brian Johnson was still in, heavily involved in just getting his stuff going, I, I came across their work and I started, you know, his his work and and uh, and the work of the IRT is some of the stuff I've really, really uh, devoured along the way. And you know, I really picked up on this idea that you always have to keep in mind, you know, the needs of the individual in front of you, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, you have to base it on that person that's right there in front of you. And one of the things I try to do is not decide in advance what people are capable of, but let them show me what they're capable of. You know, I see this mistake, like Jesse was mentioning, where people go, oh, this guy's old. I have to use light weights and uh, I have to, you know, right. not make him, you know, right. And this guy is, you know, <clears throat> something else. And instead, I, I don't, I don't decide ahead of time what they're capable of I, I i let them show me and then i build those programs based on the on that but also i have to take into account their preferences uh their desires their you know innate abilities their injuries their their psychology right all mm-hmm. that stuff comes into play i can't just wedge them into this cookie cutter plan and expect it to always work uh, you know, it has to be flexible, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, I can write write out the perfect workout on a piece of paper, but if I give it to you and you hate it, you know, what's what's my luck going to be with your adherence or your, you know, your wanting to show up each time and do it again? Right. You know, so we we have to we have to be able to create stuff and, and, and you know, meet those people where they are. And, you know, there's a lot to it, right? There's an art and a science. There definitely is. And I think... Um... I've had that conversation with a couple of people about the, the difference between the art and the science. And some people kind of scoff at the idea that there could be either one. Um, Cause I think a lot of people, if you're not, if you're not working with, or you're seeing someone not working with a trainer who is uh, who, who kind of encompasses everything you just mentioned, who keeps that individual's needs in mind, who does things very systematically, who has a very clean approach to things, simple approach. You might think that, uh, all there is to it is, uh, the trainer, uh, you just go to somebody who just tells you to do a bunch of random stuff. And that's, that's what a workout is, or that's what exercise is. And we, we all know that that's not true. And, um, one thing that you did bring up though, was the, the idea of in, in intensity. And I think, um, uh, Jesse, you also mentioned intensity and I had a conversation a few months ago with someone who I tried to get on the podcast, um, and then it kind of just fell through because we couldn't we couldn't agree on this idea of of what is missing in inside most people's workouts. And I and I I had said I think most smart programs are missing a level of intensity. And we I think all can agree that it's going to look different for every single person. That ninety year old that intensity is going to look a little bit different than the twenty five year old football player, but um, so, so Jesse, let's throw this back to you. You know, when you're working with somebody, how do you explain what intensity looks like and, um, and how do you make sure that you're getting the most intensity out of them as you can? Yeah. Um, well, if it's somebody it's like, you know, a lot of, basically my job is to, is to walk first time weightlifters through, you know, through a workout, uh, and, so I, I kind of try to unravel that thread bit by bit, but I'll, I'll, the simplest, the simplest way I put it for them is you want to take a reasonably heavy weight that you can move slowly and control 
and you want to lift it for as many times as you can until you can't lift it anymore. And that's what we're trying. We're actually trying to, to reach that point of positive failure or positive success as I've heard it on your podcast uh, recently. I like that. I like that most recent episode you released. And then I try to, and then I'll take somebody through an actual exercise. I'll, I'll, I'll tell them what it looks like so they can kind of like conceptualize it. But I don't think people truly understand what it is that we're talking about when we say, when we use the word intensity until they actually feel it, until they actually get to that point near the end of a set where they know there might only be a couple of repetitions left or they might even they might even have it set in their mind that they couldn't possibly do any more. Um, but so, so I'll kind of, I'll kind of let them, let them go on that first exercise and just kind of see where they get to. And I might reflect back to them. All right. Well, you know, to me, that looked like you were working at about an intensity level of a six out of 10 when they might've felt like it was a 10 out of 10. But then what I'll see is that when I take them on to do a new exercise, they, they work a little bit harder uh, right. and mm-hmm. they might, they, yeah, they might they might push it a little bit farther just having said that to them. It's not even anything that changed in their body, or you know, you know, they didn't have any rest or anything like that. It's 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 only having it pointed out to them that that they're capable of a little bit more. So, and then there, you know, there are certain things that I that I look to. Obviously, like the you know the simplest thing that I'm looking for from all of my clients and and you know new gym members is. For them to for them to actually get to the point where they can't lift the weight anymore, but then you know some of the other things I point out to them are you know when you are really trying as hard as you can, you're going to start making involuntary noises. You might be spitting. You're going to be you know be hyperventilating. You know, and those are the things. Those are the sort of things like you can't fake that, right? And they yeah. just happen when you're working as hard as you can. And that, and I, and I, I try to encourage that and reward people for working that hard because, and this is this is kind of just like a meta idea about that is, you know, if you're if you're not in if you're in like the commercial gym environment or a bigger gym environment and and you are working at a higher intensity level than anybody else around you, that kind of makes you. I mean, it makes you unique in my mind that to put it in a positive light, but I think a lot of other people see that as a negative thing. Like who's this guy who's, who's like, you know, hyperventilating on the, you know, on the bench press, and, yeah. you know, why, like, why is he only doing one set? You know, like it, 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 it just doesn't make sense to people. And so socially it's almost unacceptable. And that's, that's challenging for some people to deal with. So I also try to just be an ally to all of my clients and, and really just everybody in the gym, regardless, because our gym, it's not like everybody's training in the high intensity style, right? Most right. people are doing their three or four sets of 10 or whatever it may be. So that's another thing I, I, I don't, I don't tell, you know, I'm not teaching our new trainers that you have to, you have to train your clients in the hip style. I'm not teaching our new gym members that you you need to do one set to failure. But what I am telling everybody across the board is that no matter how many sets you do, you need to be trying as hard as you can in one of them. And I do mean as hard as you can. Yeah. Liam, do you, do you kind of take that same philosophy, I assume, or do you have a different take on that idea of intensity? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I'd say it's similar, you know, um, I, I, uh, I definitely want people to learn to work as hard as they can, for sure. I, one thing I do, similar to Jesse, is, you know, 
I usually let let people when I when they're new, I let their I let them stop where they feel is you know they they need to stop you know. But I'm very good at this point at, at telling you know whether there was stuff left or not. You know I'm I'm I, you know you get to a point where you can just recognize right right. Um, and and you know I'm also good you know I, you know again there's not one way that works. Some people you no matter how many times you work with them and no matter how much they learn, they can't deal with the idea, for instance, of you saying, just keep going until you can't go anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Like that just doesn't work for certain people. No. And with those people, you know, with those people, my simple workaround is I quickly learn what their limits are, whether they've recognized them or not. And so, you know, for instance, if you were a client of mine and I knew that you could do a, around 10 reps with a hundred pounds, in an exercise, I would tell you I wanted you to do 20 reps. Liam, I, do, do I, I would do 21 reps, Liam, first of all. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, how, how, many, how many reps would Jesus do? One more than Satan. Okay, that's, that's all you need to know. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I, I, that's one thing, that's one trick, if you will, that I'll use is I'll, I'll know basically where their limits are for the, you know, within a rep or two. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just give them a target that I know for sure is outside of that. And, and so they're going to naturally dig because, yeah. you know, it's human nature, right? We've all seen it. If you say do eight to 12, oh, yeah. they always think they got to get 12. Right. right. Um, and they'll, they'll naturally, if left to their own devices, default to a weight where they know they can get 12. Right. Yeah. Um, because they, they have to get that upper number. So what I'll do is if I know you can only get 10 with a hundred, I'll say, we're going to do 20 with this hundred pounds. And a lot, sometimes I'll make them go until they get that 20. So it might take them two tries. You know what I mean? Yeah, a little micro um, break so, or something. So init- init- initially, I'm going to make them work. I, it does, again, it doesn't have to be one set, but I do want them to learn to work hard. So if they get 12 and then the 13th one, they literally couldn't move it anymore. And they're like, oh, man, I didn't get 20. I'm like, all right, catch your breath for a minute. And we're going to keep going until you do get 20. Okay? And, uh, you know, so there's lots of ways to work it. But I, I definitely teach them over time to learn to dig and work and push it to those you know places that are challenging. You know, I, I want them to recognize it's like there's this that fight or flight thing is happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and you know and get them to see that they that, that they can, that they're stronger than they think they are, that they can push harder, that they can dig a little deeper. And, and you know it's it's amazing um, what people accomplish you know in a short period of time with the right encouragement and support, you know, and guidance. Well, that is the art of, of what we do as, as coaches and trainers. That is the art of it, recognizing and getting just a little bit more out of it. Cause it's easy. It would be easy for us to say, okay, let's look at your sheet. Last time you did uh, 15 at hundred pounds. Let's give you uh, you know, extra five pounds, try to get 12 and they'll get 12 and you know, they can get one more, but sometimes, you know, just, that little extra encouragement of, of saying, try to get one more. And even if it's the same sure. weight, well, I already got 15, try for one more, just try, see what happens. Great. So now we can move on to a different weight or now we can take it whichever direction. But the art of the art of, of coaching is it's uh, it's hard. And I think uh, sometimes it, c- it can get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And you know, again, like I, I work at even sometimes I'm, you know, I'm at a studio, like I, I sometimes work with some, you know, dedicated one-on-one high intensity places and for instance you know some that you know are rec- that are, are very into the super slow protocols as you mentioned earlier right and that's what they do and and, and uh 
I'll go in there and I'll work with, with someone. And, and, you know, I might do something totally different. You know, like some, some guys, you know, I work with guys in their eighties and nineties. I do all kinds of things. And, you know, again, you have to find what works for each guy that's in front of you. And, you know, for one of my guys, for instance, I just set 90 seconds on the clock and I, and I, and I go, okay, we're going to, we're going to try to get 90 seconds. Right. And if he, if he gets 90 seconds, I let him stop at 90 seconds. And if he doesn't get it, I just make a note. And then, you know, that next time, I don't worry whether he made it to failure. I, I know he's close, but I just, every single time, he's moving up in one way or the other. So the next time, if he got 90 seconds, I'm going to add weight. If he didn't get 90 seconds, we're going to try to go longer than we did last time. But he doesn't necessarily have to hit failure on every single exercise, every single workout, every single time he comes in. But yet he makes progress every single time he sees me. And every single time, he's, he, he's better than he was last time. Yeah, I, awesome. I, I want to echo that. I, I, I uh, although I do try to get people to push it as hard as I can, that's the the point I try to hit home is is we we just want to try to progress every you know it, as as often as possible. It doesn't matter if it's by an inch or by a mile. Right. But then I think the thing that helps just kind of maybe because I think um, also what you're talking about, Eric, is maybe getting like trainers out of their comfort zone of. Yes. Uh, well, you know, um, this is this is this is the program today because this is what the program is every day, and and that has been one of the um, one of the huge benefits of of learning from Liam um, because uh, we've gone over so many different training styles, different different reps types of repetitions, you know. So, I mean, just in just in when he's training me, we there might be a day where we do all J reps. We might do strong range partials. We might do pause reps. We might do one and a quarter reps. We might do, you know, unilateral work. We might do, you know, I mean, there, there's just, it's, we might do isometrics or negatives or forced reps. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And the more people that we, that we talk to, um, you know, the more possibilities open up, which is, which is really cool. So, and that transfers over to our clients for sure. Uh, so even if we're if we're not doing right, if you get somebody doing a doing a J rep, um, it's automatically going to raise the, the level of intensity of their of their exercise um, and also their level of focus. So this is this is interesting to me since you're working with more um, more trainers, kind of in, in that fitness director role. What is it that because I, I see it in a few people that I work with, they're almost afraid to take somebody out of their comfort zone. What do you do? You think that is because is it with is it with the the trainer thinking maybe if I if I push them too hard, they're not going to want to come back, or is there something else there? Yeah. Because I I don't for for myself, this is my own uh, train of thought. If I am able to push myself as hard as I can push myself, or if I have another trainer train me, I will give them everything I have. Um, well, I, you know, I want to make it worth that trainer's time. I, I feel like it's like a, I owe it to them almost. But I, I feel like when some trainers train themselves, I'll push super hard and they know how to train themselves. But then when I watch them train someone who is capable, and maybe I don't know all of the nuance, the background of, of that individual, but I'm like, I'm I'm fairly certain that like 23 year old person could probably go deeper in the squat and handle a lot more weight, but they're afraid. And for weeks and weeks and months and months, you see them do the exact same thing. And you're like, why not try to get them out of their comfort zone? Like, what side does that lay on? You think? Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's definitely a complex issue. I think, um, yeah, trainers, trainers might be concerned about, about injuring a client. And so, you know, one thing that I'm instructing all of, we have four new trainers that we're training right now. And, um, you know, one thing I, I try to remind them as often as possible about is at slower rates of movement, right? You're going to be, you're going to be safer. If you lift a heavy weight fast, like an Olympic lifting, you're going to be more likely to injure yourself. If you move that heavy weight slowly, you're going to just be a lot more likely to get strong and stay safe over time. Um, so that, yeah, I, I try to be in their ear about that as often as possible. My, the question I always ask myself is how can I provide my clients with the maximum value? Yes. And that's awesome. The answer that, the answer that I've come to is we need to be making people as strong as we can. And the way that you make somebody as strong as they can get is you have to raise the level of intensity of their exercises. So even if it does require them uh, as clients and us as trainers to, to each get out of our comfort zone, I know that at the end of the day, regardless of, you know, uh, you know, how, how many times they, they tell me they hate me or, uh, you know, or, or how, you know, how, how much we're, we're sweating and, and, you know, grunting and, and all that stuff. I know that when somebody works as hard as they can, they leave that session that day um, having stimulated their body to the point that, that is going to provide the maximum benefit for them. So, so really, I, I look at it not as, like, I'm crushing people. Right. I look at it more as I'm, I'm respecting the investment that they've made and, and being compassionate um, with them and, because this is, this is a tool, right? It's resistance training is a tool. Um, it is not, it is not an easy skill to build, but it is a very beneficial one if you're doing it correctly. Right. Yeah. I think that one thing that I feel, go ahead. I was going to say what, what I feel, unfortunately for me is I really honestly sadly believe that many of these people, even the trainers, don't even know that the effort is the most important quality that they're trying to cultivate. I literally don't think that they understand it. I think that they learn all this information, but no one has bothered to tell them that somewhere along those lines, they need to work hard. You know, there's all these periodization types of things, and there's different sets and reps and different, you know, some things for bulk and some things for tone and some things for this and high reps and low reps and all these different ways of doing exercises. But nowhere do they, are they actually taught that effort is required to force the body to adapt. You know, that it's somewhere missing. Even in these certification bodies and so forth, I, I honestly, I've taken so many certifications ACSM, NSCA, I don't remember them ever saying it, even in those, these big famous organizations. Right. They don't talk about it. No, they don't. Um, you know, they talk about doing, you know, this many reps for this outcome. And, you know, I, I, I was lost in the periodization world for years, you know, doing hypertrophy phases and mass phases and recovery phases and taking my 1RMs and crunching the numbers in the 62.5% of my 1RM for so many sets and reps. And uh, it's just useless. Uh, and, I, and it didn't get me better results than just training hard and recovering. Um, you know, and, and 
you know, I, I sometimes, you know, Arthur Jones, I think even said it took him, you know, something like 20 years to figure out that, you know, two sets was better than three and another 20 years to figure out that one set was better than two or whatever, you know I mean? He was the first to admit that it took him a long time to solve some of these problems, you know? Yeah, I don't even know if it's a, if it's a really, if it's so much an intellectual thing, it's just an emotional thing, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's hard to work hard, right? It doesn't. It, it, yeah, I mean, number one is you. We we know we all know, Eric, that none of us do it without a coach, right? Even I don't know about you, but I know for a fact when I work out by myself, I never work as hard as if I have somebody standing there next to me. Um, I know that my clients, when they're with, don't don't have me with them, don't work out as hard as they do when they do have me with them. And I think it's very rare that you have those people that can push themselves when they're by themselves. They, they do exist, but they're few and far between. Um, and the other thing is I think there's a lot of trainers out there that even the ones that we're trying to teach are the ones under our charge that think this is some weird novel thing, you know, this brief, intense, effort-based stuff. Is some, yeah, it's just another – it's like they think it's like a, like a technique, like doing a 21, you know, or, you know, doing a forced repetition. They don't understand that there's principles that un- that this should be underlying everything else that they do. Um, you know, like even some of the trainers that train with me, I train some of the other trainers, and they call me their coach, and they do exactly what I tell them to do. But they don't apply what I give to them to their own clients. You know what I mean? They have clients, and they still train their clients in this other conventional stuff but yet they train themselves by what I re- recommend. So it's like they can't even take it and go, wow, this is working for me. I'm going to change what I do and do and apply this to my guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think they might exactly. be insecure about, you know, like they've, they've been selling, they've been selling Coke and now they're, you know, going to be offering Pepsi instead. And they're, they're concerned that clients might not like Pepsi. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think There's you're a right. Lot going yeah. On. I think you're right. That's uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, so there's a little bit of everything there. I think um, but there, there's so much, and that's interesting that you brought up the the certification thing because uh, I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago, and he he just passed. I think he went through the ACE certification program, and he's like, you know, a lot of the stuff that your podcast talk about, a lot of the the uh, the principles that you, you mentioned in class, um, and then through some phone conversations, he's like, none of that is brought up in certification programs. None of it is. And, <laughs> and you got to explain to him that a lot of the certificate certification programs, um, it's first of all, like we just discussed getting intensity out of someone. Um, I'm not sure how you can teach that through a certification program unless you go through it yourself. And, uh, and I, I, I think actually, uh, I took that same person when I did you guys' podcast, I took, that's the person I'm talking about. Um, Drew, took him through what that would look like for him. And he's like, yeah, there's no way you can explain uh, in a certification program. It's much easier to say three sets of 12 repetitions equals this rather than what intensity or effort looks like. So, uh, I mean, that it's, yeah. it's going to, it's going to be a, there's going to be a little bit of difference between everybody. But if, I think if people learn to apply that, then maybe you start to think to yourself, even in your own programming, like I, I when I, when I train myself now, I don't do, uh, more than one set. And, you know, I kind of did that same philosophy. This goes back to the very beginning of the conversation. I'm starting out with three sets, two sets, and now it's like one hard set. Um, and I train by myself, so maybe I'm not giving, you know, maybe I could get one or two more if I had a, a good spotter trying to get some negative work out of me and stuff. But one 
super hard set for me has done better for my body body in terms especially in terms of recovery and injury prevention than any amount of three four set program uh, has ever done yeah and and just the, a, we'll call it the church of high intensity yeah just to follow up too we, we as an example we had another coach on today on our own podcast um you know who's been around forever world famous um and uh you know he mentioned which i find is totally true that you know these certification companies or books a lot of times they have they have these programs that look amazing on paper but then if you actually try to do the program it takes you like two hours to do it um you know, he, he was joking that one particular program had the person doing 30 minutes just of lunges alone. Yeah. And that if you were doing the workout, you, it would take you 90 minutes to two hours to do the entire workout. And I see this in lots of books. These guys, somehow they're selling these books. Um, you know, I, I won't mention names at the moment. But, you know, and I, I, you know, other people go, I've got this book. It's amazing. Look at this incredible stuff. And I said, you know, if you follow just one of those programs, it's literally going to take you three hours because it has this, you know, myofascial stuff. You got to foam roll, and then you got to right. do this type of other stuff. You got to prepare, and then you got to do the prehab and the pre posthab and the and then the actual workout part. And and when you have, yeah, and when you do it, it would literally take you so long. And then they're telling you to do that four or five times a week. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's just it looks cool on paper, but it's totally impractical. And um, that happens a lot. And I, so he, he was basically trying to allude to the fact that a lot of the stuff in these, in these certification bodies is written by people who don't ever actually do it. That's exactly I mean? right. Yeah, or they, they, don't do. actually, yeah. They, don't, they don't actually implement it, and they, they don't even realize that the stuff they're putting down on paper isn't going to get – it's not going to get done. You know what I mean? You're, you're a college coach, and you got lots of guys, and you got an hour to get them done. Uh, you know what I mean? You're in the military. Yeah. There's a certain block of time. You got to get your PT done. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? I do. You, you, you can't spend, you can't spend, you're in prison. You can only spend so much time in the gym. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta get your stuff done. Do you guys know what the, uh, I can't remember who the certification process goes through, but I think it's like the, um, oh, is it the ec uh, corrective exercise protocol? So I had a friend. Yeah. Maybe it is. Yeah, it could be NASM. It might be. I'm not sure. But yeah. So I'm what? Do, sure it is. I, I, have, I have that certification, yeah. so I know it's NASM. Okay. So, so one of my friends come to me and he's like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" I'm like, "I think it's great." Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure where you'd put that with 30 minutes with somebody. And he's like, "Well, you know, if somebody <laughs> comes to me, uh, maybe I can I can have them do it beforehand, or maybe have them do it after." I'm like, "Dude." If they're coming to you for 30 minutes, the chances of you getting him getting them there for another 30 minutes before or staying 30 minutes after is very slim. So, like to yeah. to me, and I'm not I'm not beating up on this program. I don't know much about it except for the fact that like, you know, if I have somebody whose hip is bothering them and I put them inside of a leg press and they're like, this really bothers me. Well, guess what? We're not going to do the leg press, and you should go see a physician. I mean, that's my that's me being maybe um, a little on the rigid side of things. But when someone comes to me, I want to make sure that they're getting the most effective strength training workout as possible. Um, I kind of feel like a lot of these certification programs are getting to the point where they are trying to make the fitness individual be everything to everybody. And I don't think it needs to be that way. And I know I talked about this last, you know, when I had, was on your guys' podcast, but um, I'm not exactly sure where I was going with that, but I, I think somebody had brought up just like, oh, yeah, you were just talking about like all these different things and these programs lasting forever. 
And I think some of the stuff is really good, but unless you're going to use whatever specific knowledge is inside of a particular um, certification in that one hour or a half hour workout, I don't know how you cram all of it into one single workout. I think it's impossible. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I also agree with you 100% about the idea that they're trying to make the trainers, uh, you know, have too many hats. You know, yeah. you, you can't you can't be the physical therapist and the strength coach and the, you know, rehab guy and, you know, all these different things. Um, and, and they're not. They, and, and it's unrealistic to make them think that taking this couple of weeks of training is going to make you a physical therapist. You know, I, you know like, what does it really mean to, to get this, these certifications? Um, there, you know, there, it's not enough time, uh, you know, to, to, to learn all the skills that you need. It's, you know, it's just a way to make more money, right? They, they got another certification, another certification, another certification, um, just more, more places to spend money and get your CEUs. And, yeah. and you know, right. uh, yeah, I agree. And on, the, on the training side, it's, it's just kind of a way to, and, and I'm straight up with, with people who ask me similar questions. I tell them, you know, if you want more letters behind your name, yeah, go for it. Um, uh, it's it's not really totally practical information, but you know, it might help. Re- it might help you reinforce uh, anatomy. Might help you reinforce some you know biomechanics, right? And uh, you know energy systems like that. That stuff doesn't hurt. No, definitely no. It's not like I'm saying all certifications are bad. Like you get a certification, and the one thing that it will make you do is keep up with continuing education, so that. That in itself. Now, a lot of the continuing education might be a joke, you know. Like, I know, I know, I know. There's like one CEU or half a CEU courses that are just, you know, on like anatomy of the cuticle or something like that. But it, there's a, so there's a lot of those things that can be kind of a joke. But one thing that it will do is, if you want to keep that certification current, it will definitely keep you educated. So that's a plus. But we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do one on the popliteus muscle. Perfect. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And then we're going to do one on the big toe. Yeah, that's great. Like, like, like Liam's saying, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a, you know, a NASM cert or one of these, you know, CEUs or, or, or a free online whatever. I mean, you look for the value that you can find there, right? You absorb what's useful and most of it's going to be garbage and you, you just let it go, you know? Yeah, but exactly. I think hopefully... Hopefully, if you're thinking about getting a cert or you're thinking about hiring a trainer who has one of those things, you want to make sure that there is uh, at least a little negative value in there and then it justifies your time and, and you know, taking advantage of it. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I definitely try to look for, for the for the treasure, right, um, any, any of those things. If I go to a seminar, if I, if I hear a speaker, if I uh, buy a new book or, you know, hear a podcast, if I get a gem out of it, it's usually worth it. You know, like if I find one nugget Definitely. of gold, uh, you know, then I, you know, I, I'm still pretty happy about it. You know, and at this point, you know, I, I go, wow, you know, that's a, I hadn't thought of that, or you know, that's a great way to look at it, or that's, that's a good, you know, little little tool to throw in my toolbox. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it does sometimes. It can be frustrating sometimes to to sift, you know, through all the all the useless stuff, you know, all the dirt and throw the dirt back in the river, you know? It's very true. Um, but, well, Hey guys, I, I, uh, I think we covered a ton of good to- to- topics and content and I need to get upstairs and relieve my wife of our uh, two month old. So I'm going to wrap this thing up, but yeah. if, 
If you guys have any uh, questions, if anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, where is the best place to reach both of you? Uh, you know, well, number one, they can vi you know visit our website, which is tntpodcast.com. Truth Not Trends Podcast. Oh, that's right. Truth Not Trends Podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm abbreviating my own freaking website. <laughs> Truth Not Trends Podcast.com. Well, you know, not only do we launch our uh, weekly uh, podcast episodes, but I, I also run the blog on the site, and you know, I try to blog articles up about every time we launch a podcast. I put uh, supportive material on the blog as well. Awesome. Um, and you know, pe people can also email us. Uh, hopefully, we're going to soon break out a little further into the social media world. Yeah. Our email is contact at truthnottrendspodcast.com. Okay. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have people contact us and, uh, you know, any kind of questions. Um, I'd love to help them. Uh, you, know, we, uh, you know, I have a nutrition background as well. We do program designs. I, you know, I help people. I, I've been in helping people uh, all over the world for years in program design, solving problems, uh, fixing issues with their training, you know. So uh, I welcome that stuff. Awesome. Awesome, guys. Well, I hope people do reach out and we will talk to you very soon. Awesome. Thank Sounds you, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com.